Grab your Bibles, grab any electronic device in which you have a Bible app on, hold it up high, and repeat after me. You ready? This is my Bible. This is my Bible. The Word of God. And inside, God tells me the plans he has for my life. He tells me how much he loves me, even when this world tells me that I am not lovable. And I shall be all that God desires for me to be because his Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. This I proclaim. In Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I like that, Brother John. <laughs> I love it. Acts chapter 2. You remember? You ready? Y'all ready? All right. Well, I'm not ready. I got to put on my reading glass. And if you all don't mind, just stand so we can read this one together. And it says, and all the believers were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their property and possessions and share with them all to the extent that anyone had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to stop uh, just for a moment. Don't sit down. That is our memory verse um, that is attached to this values, uh, to this particular series on values. We're going to discuss it as soon as this value series ends in one standalone message. I, I want you to memorize this passage, okay? Do the best you can to memorize it. But today's passage is actually focused from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. And I'm just going to read uh, a small section of it because we're going to read through all of it, I assure you. Uh, you are at a church that utilizes uh, heavily and all and, and, and completely on the Bible. OK, so I'm just going to read verses uh, six right now, six and seven. Now, I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I, I, I got to give you one last verse. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. With that being said, we're going to pray and our focus today is on biblical giving. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, thank you, Father, for the opportunity to study your word, but Lord, as we study your word, we get to discover more about you. We get to have an encounter and come face to face with you. In doing so, Lord, we not only discover more about you, but we discover more about ourselves, for your word is a mirror. And Lord, we discover the plans and the desires that you have for our life. 
And so, Lord, help our minds to be open. Help our hearts, dear Lord, to be open. And, Lord, help and strengthen our hands and feet that we will be doers of your word. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, a very important place for us to be, um, especially as a church. And when we talk about giving, the first thing that automatically comes to mind that many people think of is money. That, that's what most people think of. But this is not just about money. It's about time, talent, treasure. Time, talent, and treasure because time, talent, treasure, when you put them all together, they say a lot about a fourth T, and that is our testimony. When you put, if someone could examine how you and I utilize our time, how we utilize our talent, and how we utilize the treasures, and our treasures are not our treasures, they're God's treasures that he allows us to steward. If we were to have an examination done on our time, our talent, and our treasure, the question would be, then, what is our testimony? Because our pocketbooks and the way we utilize our time says a lot about us. Listen, if, if, if you never, ever spend time with someone, your kids, your spouse, your parents, and you have the ability to do so, but you have no desire or willingness to do so, it says a lot about your level of love towards that person, right? Our time, our talent, and our treasure says a lot about our testimony. The Bible has a lot to say about biblical giving. In fact, if you were to go through the synoptic gospels, and that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that you know that almost one out of every six verses talks about giving. It is such a major component of the word of God. And it's because those things, our giving, our uh, resources, our money, they fight for the attention that is all supposed to be given to God. In fact, some of us may not even know it, but many of us may worship Abraham Lincoln, though you never met him in person. You worship Thomas Jefferson. You, you worship different people that are located on the dollar bills. If you're not careful, the thing that you give the most attention to, the thing that you are more passionate about, that is the thing that has become your God. Time, talent, and our treasure. So what does the Bible say about biblical giving? Because on the surface, it may sound like we're just talking about giving of the time, talent, and treasure. That's the surface. It's like an iceberg. You see it from a distance, and you see that top piece of ice on the water, and you may say, well, that's large or that's small, but the reality is that the iceberg has the majority of it beneath the surface of the water. So this is not an issue about what you and I see on the surface. It's really about what's beneath the surface, because really what this text is about is not about money. It's about the heart. Yes. It's about a matter of the heart. 
It's a very short, concise uh, uh, point that Paul here is making. See, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is speaking to a group of believers that he has been speaking to. They, they, they are financially able to support their church there, but they were also able and had the financial means to support others. And Paul, in chapters 8 and chapters 9, Paul was on a tour, a, a, a tour actually going out as a missionary, raising funds for the church back in Jerusalem. That the church in Jerusalem was in dire straits. They were facing a financial crisis and they needed help. And the church of Corinth were going, and Paul was encouraging them to help the church back in Jerusalem. Now, why were the church in Jerusalem, why was it going through a crisis? Well, what had happened, a lot of these uh, individuals had come to know Jesus Christ, had put their faith in the, the, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. And because they believed in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that became a problem. Why did it become a problem? Because at the temple, which the Sadducees ran, uh, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of Christ or anyone. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And that meant that those who worked at the temple, and there was thousands of people that had various roles. It's not just the priests and the Levites. There were pre people that had jobs, roles, where they were actually terminated. They were let go because it didn't line up with some of the views of the Sadducees. In addition to that, there was a famine throughout the land uh, there. And so Jerusalem, which is located in Judea, they were facing an economic crisis, a downturn. They were in great needs. They were in dire straits. And Paul thought it was fitting that believers would help believers. That is one of the backdrops of what's going on. Lesson for the believers then and a lesson for us believers now about generosity. And Paul says that there is actually guidelines of giving. There's two elements or two components to these guidelines, to this guideline of giving. Paul says that when we give, we should give generously. Paul says we should give generously. Notice there in verse 6, Paul says, I say the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. And Paul is using uh, a language, uh, a illustration there that would have connected and that connected to that audience, and it should connect today. And Paul was using an agriculture illustration. Paul says, if the farmer takes one seed, if he has a bucket of seeds and he takes one little seed and he puts one out 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 and he puts 99% of the bucket back away. Paul says he's going to reap what he actually sowed, because the point was that a seed has the capability to actually produce 30 to 100 times what you actually planted. And so if you put out sparingly, you should look for the return to also be given back to you sparingly. But if you had been generously generous about distributing it, 
then your return would have been generous. That makes sense? Paul is saying, be generous. You can't be tight-fisted because if you're tight-fisted and it's hard to get something out of your hand, then it's also going to be just as difficult to put something in your hand. Some of us may not understand why is not anything going into my hand. Well, have you ever did an honest assessment and asked, does anything actually leave your hand? Or do you have a, it's about me, me, me mentality? It's all about me. If you think about yourself first, then what's going to happen is you're not going to actually sow bountifully. Therefore, you will not reap bountifully. Parents, when we feed our kids, do you actually give them just a little bit of something? I'm not saying because of their health, but just to be stingy. Do you make a huge pot of an item of food and then when it's time to eat, you take out a teaspoon and give it to them, but on your plate, you use a soup spoon? Don't answer the question out loud. If you do, shame on you. <laughs> You're you and I are supposed to actually sow bountifully so you can reap bountifully. Be generous. Be good at giving. You all know the story about, because uh, it's a, it's a it, that, that is a uh, sign of greed, by the way. I, I remember reading about a man. He had just inherited um, $25,000 because his aunt had passed away. And the next week, one of his brothers passed away and he received $38,000. And then the next week, he had another relative pass away and he was given $42,000. Well, he was depressed. And someone asked him, what's wrong? He said, I'm just so sad. I'm just so depressed. And they said, well, what's wrong? He said, well, I just don't feel good. They said, but you received 25000 Then you got 38000 the next week. You got 42000 the next week. What are you depressed about? He said, well, ain't nobody died this week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just greedy. Greedy. Listen, don't be greedy. You all know the story about the dog going over the bridge and he had a bone in his mouth, a big old bone in his mouth. And as he was going over the bridge, he looked at some water below and he noticed that there was a dog there that had a bigger bone than him. And so he went after the dog that was in the water with a bigger bone. And you know what happened? He had no bone at all. Listen. Be generous. And when you're generous, you don't think of yourself first. You're generous and you distribute bountifully. Listen, therefore you reap bountifully. You give, in other words, a lot. You give a lot. You give a lot of what? Your time, your talent, and your treasure. I will tell you this up front. To love people is going to cost you. 
to love people has to be demonstrated with just action. It's more than just words. You can tell me you can love me. I can tell you that I love you. You can tell your spouse that I love you. But, uh, you, you know, do you show it at all? Now, you say, well, I don't have the money. It ain't all about money. Do you actually give the time? Okay, you say, well, I don't have a lot of money. Do you have a talent? Can you write them a card? Can you write them a letter? Can you go pick a flower? Don't, don't, don't focus on what I told you about the flower last week. Listen, listen. Have you given them a flower? Can, can you do something? Don't you just love it when your kids, you know, when your kids, for those of you who got small kids, I'm telling you, cherish the moments. Um, but for those of us who your kids, who kids have gotten older, but you remember when your kids like go in their room or at school, they, they work on an art, art project and they get some macaroni or they get some dirt or some grass and whatnot, or they get their hand print or something like that, and they make something and then they bring it to you and say, Mama, Daddy, look what I made for you. They just use their talent. They just, they just put themselves inside of that art and they gave it to you. It's not always about money, but these are things that God gives us. He gives us time, talent, and treasure. Everyone in this room at some point has had a quarter or a dollar or will have a quarter or a dollar in their life. Okay? Everyone in this room are on equal standing when it comes to time. You say, I don't have the time. I, I, I was talking to someone, my wife knows this is a big, big thing to me. When someone says, I, I can't do it because I, I got to work, I got to do this, I got to do this. I don't have, I don't feel sorry for you. Let me tell you why. We all have those things. Everyone in this room has only 24 hours a day. That's what we're given. We all work with that 24 hours of it. All I know is if we are supposed to be faithful with those 24 hours in a day, Whatever God called us to do, that's what we're supposed to do with it. That's what you do with it. If you start to really look at what you and I do in those 24 hours a day, you may find some things in there that God didn't ask you to do. If you were to eliminate those things, you would have more time to do what you're supposed to do. And what I have discovered is that in my 24 hours, there are some things that you may want me to do. There may be some things I want to do. But sometimes I look at it and say, none of these things are what God told me to do. So what I have to do is eliminate what you want me to do, and I have to eliminate what I want to do, and I have to focus only on what God wants me to do. And what I realize is I feel better when I do those things. Time, talent, and treasure. Be generous with them. But the text says, listen, Paul says there's, there's one more component to the guidelines of giving. Do not just give generously, which by the way, um, I, I love this image here. Uh, it, it's, it's in the, it starts off with the person being generous. They just emerging. Like if you have never given in your life, and, and I'm not talking, I'm talking, if you are a member of a church, if, and it's time, if you, if, 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 if you are a member of a church and you have never, ever given, and I, and I understand different people reservations and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but I'm telling you, once you start to give, you get right above that line. But once you start seeing the difference that it actually makes, and not just at a church, but when you are a blessing to someone else, that's just something good. It feels really good 
to, to give. It, it feels really good. And the more you do it, the more you start doing it more. And you start to engage even with those that you're giving to. And then it just, just grows. It expands. You start telling other people, like, it's a good thing to give. It's, it, just, it just feels good. In fact, I have some friends in this church. They come to me and say, why do you not tell other believers to actually give? It feels so good. And they don't understand. They're robbing themselves. They're hurting themselves. Because here's the truth. When you sow, you also reap back. When you give, God says, oh, listen, you won't be disappointed. I'm going to give it back to you, and I give it back to you fold. In other words, one-fold, two-fold, three-fold, 30 to one time, hundred-fold, just like the seed. And what happens is you become an extravagant giver. You say, what's an extravagant giver? Well, here's the thing. Some people might think that means that person gave a million dollars. No, an extravagant giver looks like someone who says, you know what? I wasn't planning to give towards this particular car. I've done, I've tithed, but I see that there's a need for candy. I heard the pastor say we need candy. I know that everyone in the church is not able to buy a bag of candy. Different things are going on in different people's lives in this room. But you know what? I have the financial ability to do more this month or this time in my life. I think I will go out and I'm going to buy five bags of candy or 10 bags of candy and I want to put them in that cart because one, I'm going to actually help my other brothers and sisters who are unable to bring and also I'm going to make sure that the needs are met for the community that comes in. That's what extravagant looks like. But Paul doesn't start stop there. Paul says, not only should we be generous, Paul says, be cheerful. That's why he says in verse 7, each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You would think it would be enough to be generous, doing you? Just, just be honest. Like, hold up, pastor. If I was generous, don't you think it's crazy for you to ask me to be happy about it? In fact, did you know the word cheerful, when you trace it back, it means to be, it's hilarious. It, it's, it's so hilarious is that one, <laughs> and like, it's funny to them. It feels so good. Like they, it, it's excited. They, they get excited about giving. You're telling me to be generous? With my time, my talent, and my treasure, and to also be so happy that it makes me laugh about it. That's not how we're taught because we are so self-centered. And until we become God and other-centered, that's how we feel. But the more you walk with Christ, the more you start to see and think like Christ. And Christ always put others first. His will, everything he did was unto the Father, and everything he did was motivated because of his love for you and I. He always had others first. We're supposed to be generous, and we're also supposed to be cheerful about it. We're not supposed to give reluctantly or under compulsion. What he's saying is, when he says, give according to your and my heart as he has decided in his heart in this heart 
It's not my business or public business on what you give. You all have heard me say this many times. I said it to the new members class this morning. I do not know what anyone in this room gives. I don't. I do not sign any checks. I shared with them this morning, if I was to give you a check from Annistown Road Church for you to have with my signature on it, you are in bad shape because they will not cash it. I do not have authorization. My name is not on any papers. And, and listen, and I wouldn't even want that responsibility. I don't know what anyone in this room gives. I do have the opportunity and the clearance to go to someone and says, hey, this brother or this sister has said they want to lead in this capacity. Have they given anything whatsoever in the year of 2022? I don't, listen, they're not going to tell me the amount. It can be $1 and it can have been one time for the year of 2022. They should be able to say, well, yes. That's all I'm out here. Yes, they gave. Because would you feel comfortable if I asked the leader to come before you and ask you to do something that they don't do themselves? I don't know what anyone gives. I don't know your frequency of giving, but I do know this. I know you're supposed to give, and I know that it's a matter of the heart, and I know that you're not hurting me. I know you're not hurting the church. You're hurting yourself. I, I, I do know that. I know that because as a personal experience, I know that. Trust me, I know that. Give generously. Give cheerfully. Don't give with reluctance, don't, don't be reluctant about it, and don't do it on the compulsion. On the compulsion means no one's going to force you to give. No one's going to bring you into class and say, we need to, listen, before you join this church, we need to see your W-2 or uh, your, 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 your paycheck stub, anything like that. No one's going to ask you any of those things, okay? That, that's not going to happen. Here, no one's going to force you and no one's going to browbeat you. And do you think, I shared this with you before, do you think I should have to ask as a preacher for all of us to actually give? You got a Bible too. Your Bible and my Bible say the same thing. We're supposed to obey. So that's, that's, what, that's what we do and we know why. The Bible, the Bible tells us why. So he tells us to give generously, give cheerfully. And when we give like this, this is what it looks like. These are guidelines. He says, be generous, be cheerful. They have to be intertwined. There has to be an intersection of them both. When there's an intersection right in the middle, that's called biblical giving. And so what Paul is making here, I want you to look back at this. Paul says, there's two ways to fail at this. If you were to give generously, but not cheerfully, you have failed. But he's also saying that if you give cheerfully, but you don't give generously, you have failed. Those are the two requirements. There has to be that intersection. That intersection is called biblical giving. What you and I want to strive for is biblical giving. Why? Because in biblical giving, this is where God says through his word that he's going to actually honor that. God honors his word. Listen God, listen, God doesn't have to honor my word or your word. He honors his own word. So the preacher, all my job is to do is tell you what he says. I can't back up what I tell you. I can back up what God has told me to tell you and what's in the Bible. That's it. So these are the guidelines for giving. But watch this right here. Those are the guidelines for giving. But he says the guidelines for giving are going to lead to this. It's going to lead to these benefits. The benefits are 
really simple. You see them in verses 8 through 11. It says, and God, I mean, 8 through 15, but 8 through 11 specifically says, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance to every good deed as it is written. He scattered abroad. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And what Paul is talking about in these two benefits, one of these benefits is God will give you what you need in order to continue to be generous. I, I, I like, just look at what it says, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you. That's God. God has that ability and he has it specifically for you so that you will have sufficiency in everything. What the text is saying is that so that all of your needs are supplied. God says, I got you. If you do what I call you to do, don't worry. I got you taken care of, too. How do I know he's saying that? He says, you may have an abundance for every good deed, for every good thing that God has called you to do. God says you have enough, and not only do you have enough, you have more than enough. But then I like how he says it in verse 10, so we don't forget. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, it may sound like a mouthful, but let me tell you what, he, what he's saying in verse 10. What he is saying is, uh, and, and don't skip this part, and he who supplies seed to the sower. This is the key part and bread for food, what he is saying is the ability that you and I have to actually sow, the resources we have to sow, it says that there is someone behind the person who is doing the sowing that gives to them. I'll give to you what you need in order to give to others. That's what he's saying. I'll give you what you need not only to meet your needs, but for you to actually give out to others and have bread. And he is the provider of it because the heavens and the earth are his. No doubt whatsoever. And, and then notice this. He says, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality to continue to be free to give out abundantly, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And what he is saying is that there will be those that will be impacted by your and my generosity and they will give thanks, not, listen, not to you and I, to God. They will say, thank you for letting God use you. And he makes that point really clear in the second point where he wraps it up, that God will use your gifts to bless others. This is the point he's going to make, you make in verse 12 through 15. But before you really see 12 through 15, you have to look at this big closing, this, this closing point here. It's, it's, it's because if you skip what he is saying up to verse 11, you're going to miss out on 12 through 15. See, in verses, the verses leading up to verse 11, especially uh, 8 through 11, 
there's a reference verse that attaches to it. And it says, give, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, you heard that scripture before, right? Let me show you what it looks like. JC, can you help me for a moment? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's show them what this looks like. So, listen, if, if you give, I know some of us like, I'm afraid to give. If I give, I won't have anything. God says it doesn't work like that. If you give what I call you to give, I'll make sure you're taken care of, and I'll make sure that those things that I've called you to take care of are taken care of, care of, but I'll also give you even more so you can continue to do more because in the end, guess who is going to be magnified by it? God. And God says, you cannot outgive me. Hey, brother. See, in the language that Paul is using, Paul, they, they, would, they would have pictured this. When the text says, press down, and when you go back to like Luke chapter 6, and it says, it's, it's pressed down, shaken together, running over. You, 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 what I just read to you, okay? When you look at that particular scripture, I'm going to read it to you one more time. Luke chapter 6, give and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to People will go to the market to buy their food, right? And when they come to the market, I want you to know this. In Jesus' time and day, they did not wear jeans, slacks, suits, polo shirts, button shirts, t-shirts. They had on clothing, robes. This would have been their outer garment. Also, they didn't have paper bags, plastic bags, and all that stuff at the grocery store. All right, so people, if they had a basket, they had a basket. If they had a bucket, they had a bucket. And then many people didn't have that. So what they would do, the person would come into the market and they get ready to buy something from a merchant. And they would have to take their outer garments and they would hold their outer garment out just like that. And the merchant will give them that grain. For their, for their pay. But if the merchant was generous, the merchant would shake it and press it down and he would shake it up to make more room. And he would tell them, shake it. And the merchant would do it until it's running over. That's what a generous merchant would do. God says, 
if you are generous, I'll be generous to you. And God says, I'll do it in such a way. Your generosity and my generosity, it don't match with God. God says, I will shake it up. I'll press it down. And I'll continue to add to it. And listen, he didn't pay for that. He only paid for this. And he walking out the store with this. This, listen, this is what God does. God, listen, you cannot outgive God. And you, listen, you, you might think, li, listen, you do not save. And it, it, I, I know this is it's backwards. You do not save money by saving money. God calls us to invest. That's why he said don't bury the talent. God calls us to be prudent, which means you be wise enough to put something away for a rainy day. But God also calls us to actually give to others. It's amazing how some of us can be so quick. And, and don't, listen, don't, yeah, you can take it any way you want to. <laughs> it's amazing how we can go to a restaurant. We can go to McDonald's, to, to Longhorn, to anywhere else, and they'll bring to you at the table uh, when it's time to pay, they're going to bring you the computer and they're going to tell you, you got three options when you look at it, when it's time to pay. Do you notice most of them don't say 10% anymore? D did you notice that? You got your 15, you got your 18, you got your 21. And you know what we do? We just click the button and we'll give it to and it, and. And sometimes the person is rude, sometimes they're not rude, sometimes they're slow, and they're telling you it's the kitchen in the back, and it was just them back there in the back talking. You don't know what's going on, but we quit to actually give, tip, and do things for others. But when somebody starts talking about give to the church, oh, they go to church again, ask for some money. Listen, if you don't want to give to the church, and you're not going to give to the church, at least don't spoil it for someone else and rob someone else with your words. You keep, you keep your words to yourself. That's your, listen, that's a matter of your heart. You go spend some time with God in your closet and talk to God. Hey, God, I've sat here and told people don't give. Could you show me in your word why it is important to give? Why is it important to give? Uh, you, you call me to do it. Why? Why? You ask God to deal with your matter of heart, but you leave other people alone. Be quiet. Be still. And you let the Lord minister to you. Listen, don't try to rob someone else of this. I give. My wife give. Many people in this church give. And I can tell you that if I, and I won't do it. There's a number of people that have asked me to talk about this. You notice I don't come up before you all and talk about this all the time. But I shouldn't feel bad to have to tell you. Okay. Give, and there is no reason whatsoever we should be so quick to give to Longhorn, McDonald's. They already overcharge you for the burger. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you thought you were going to get romaine lettuce and you got your little piece. Of, I, I, listen, God will bless you like this. And JC, if you don't mind, I'm going to pull this up right here. Watch this. Watch when he drops it. You, you see the bounty? But watch this. Watch this. And God says, I'm going to take it back. I told you I'll take it back. JC, stay right there. He says, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that you will always have all, suffi all sufficiency in everything. When? When they're going to have it? Did you notice the 
text always. And he says, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So God says, hey, JC, this is not a one-time thing in your life. Can you lift up your robe again? <laughs> and you know what? Here's the crazy thing about this. That wagon's going to fill up again. It's kind of like Dora the Explorer's back. It's going to fill back up again. And God will do the same thing over again. That's how God works. That, that's how he works. He'll keep filling it up. He'll never run out. So, and guess who keeps getting glory? God keeps getting glory from it. Thank you, bro. And you look good in that robe. And, and, and so watch how verses 12 through 15 close. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, doesn't just help the church, but it's overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. It causes other people to look and say, look what God is doing through the various deeds that a church does. Uh, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. In other words, uh, you're in my confession to and, and call and our coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ is not just with words. In other words, I didn't just come to the cross and accept Jesus Christ. I picked up my cross and one of the things the Bible tells us to do is pick up our cross, follow him and deny ourselves. Pick up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. Well, one of the things I can demonstrate that I'm denying myself is when I'm doing for others, unto others, being a blessing to others, it's not just words. Because love is a verb, okay? It's not just some pretty adjective. It's a verb. And so love has to be demonstrated and shown. So men, we have to show our wives that we love them. Wives, we have to show our husbands that we love them. Parents, grandparents, we have to show our kids and our grandkids that we love them. Kids, we have to show our parents and our grandparents and our elders that we love them. We can't just be all talk. You have to show it. But watch this. Believers, we can't be all taught that we love God and we love the fact that God sent his only begotten son here. We got to actually show it. And what's the best way that we can show that we love God? By doing what God does. And that is that God loves others. God loves others. I started off by saying to you, you and I cannot make God any better. God is great at all things at all times. And so the greatest thing I can do to show God that I love him is by lining up with him and showing love towards others. And, and then watch this. Watch how he closes. Verses 14, verse 14 through 15. While they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Now watch how he closes. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You would think that the text would just end with being generous. It doesn't. It ends with the most generous gift ever given. Verse 15, it says, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. He's not talking now about our time. He's not talking about our talent. And nor is he talking about our treasure. What he is talking about is the greatest gift of all time given for this world. And that was the gift of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. That's what he is saying in verse 15. He is saying, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. God, I can, listen, I can thank, I can thank the church of Corinth for what they're going to do for the church in Jerusalem. I can be, because listen, here's the thing about Annistown. If you want to compare, 
what are some things this church is called to do? One of the things this church is called to do is to plant other churches. Unapologetic about it. When the church gets to a certain point, when it grows to a certain point, we're supposed to help plant other churches. We're supposed to send out missionaries. This church itself was a church plant. This church was planted by Mountain Park Church way back in the early 80s. We are supposed to also plant churches. We're supposed to send missionaries. We're supposed to develop leaders in it. And some of these leaders are this tall. You see them out in the foyer. I get to hold some of them. Some of these leaders are actually my height. Some of them are taller. Some are seven. Some are 75. We're supposed to develop leaders. We're supposed to develop evangelists. We're supposed to develop people who are faithful in sharing the gospel. We're supposed to proclaim the gospel, not just locally, but also regionally, also nationally, and also globally. We are called to do those things because the Bible tells us to do those things in the Great Commission. And why do we do it? Because we're so thankful for this indescribable gift that God has given us. And that is his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your and my sins, who not only died on the cross for your and my sins, but after they buried him, he demonstrated the fact that he has all power, all authority, not only among the living, but even when it comes to the dead, because he got up from the grave in his own power. And we know that he got up in his own might and he got up in his own time. So on the third day, he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave and there was evidence, there was proof. And because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, it is the reason why those of us who are in this room that have already accepted Jesus Christ can give God praise as I started off talking about earlier today. And listen, you may be here today. You say, well, you know what? I didn't come in in that position in a relationship with Christ. And that's why this moment is important. So you're going to hear why this moment's important. In fact, if you don't mind, just stand. You see this altar here? Come to it. Kneel at it. Or stand. You're not kneeling. At, listen, you're not praying to this altar. You're not praying to anyone on the stage. I want you to direct your heart, your prayer. To God. You stand, you kneel at this altar, and here's what you're coming down for. Because if you've heard about this indescribable gift, you heard about Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God, sent as a gift to this world to die on the cross for you and my sins. Yeah, that's right. Every last one of us in this room have sinned. Every last one of us in this room were born separated from God. But I want you to know that even when you and I were sinners, God loved you and I. And God demonstrated that love for you and I even before you and I were brought into this world when he sent that great gift, his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, stretched out on a cross between two thieves. And they had him situated there as if he was some criminal. But here was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, arms stretched wide and far. And they thinking, oh, it was the nails keeping him on the cross. But his motivation was love. Love towards those that he has come to die for, 
and that's for the entire world. And the Bible says that he who would actually call upon him, he would, who would actually place their faith in him, and never forget, faith is a combination of belief and trust. Those who would believe that he was sent by the Father, that he lived the sinless life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again. The Bible says that those who believe that and then put their trust in him as Savior and Savior alone, the Bible says they will be saved. I want you to know today that that opportunity for you is here. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, come down today to this altar.